2021 continues to bring significant losses of life and health, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel for many, the COVID-19 vaccine. Massachusetts is currently at the end of phase one of its vaccine rollout, which focused heavily on inoculating hospital workers and congregate care residents. Phase two starts February 1st. I'm Sarah Benport with Commonwealth Magazine. With us on the podcast today is a key leader who has been integral to forming state policy around vaccines and the coronavirus response. Dr. Paul Bittinger heads the state's Vaccine Advisory Group and is the director of the Massachusetts General Hospital's Center for Disaster Medicine. Dr. Bittinger, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you. So first off, it is great to have you on here. I, I'm guessing your day-to-day is pretty crazy um, continuously over the past 10 months. It, it has been. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, this is uh, the biggest public health challenge of my lifetime, probably of all of our lifetimes. And uh, it, it needs every ounce of energy we can put together to try and respond well. Now, are you spending more time um, working with MGH right now or doing more state policy-focused health-related work? So, so my day job uh, is uh, to head the emergency management programs for the Mass General Brigham system. Uh, and I'm serving as the deputy incident commander for our systems response, which is 10 hospitals and a number of other organizations uh, within. So that is surging to provide medical care to make sure that we uh, are able to uh, continue to assure adequate personal protective equipment, good clinical response, adapt to the new um, clinical treatments that are out there, say the monoclonal antibodies, uh, and then of course, prepare for vaccination of both our our staff and patients. So that's my day job. Uh, And then in addition, uh, I work with uh, just an unbelievable group of about 16 other individuals uh, who uh, have volunteered to help support the state uh, as part of the advisory group uh, and try and uh, provide feedback on the, the planning for the, the rollout of vaccination. Okay. And so it's been about five and a half, six weeks since the state's vaccine rollout started. How do you think it's going so far? Well, I, I think there obviously are some significant challenges uh, with respect to getting vaccine out uh, and into individuals as quickly uh, as it's arriving. Uh, I think with um, getting individuals to know when they're eligible for vaccine, where they're gonna get vaccinated, how they're gonna get vaccinated. So I I would say, um, you know, it's only been five weeks, but there have been several kinds of challenges already. Uh, Unfortunately, I think there will be some more. Uh, the, The fundamental problem of course, is just that there isn't enough vaccine to vaccinate everybody. Uh, But the secondary problems have uh, to do with just making sure that both the information and the the, the distribution of the vaccination sites themselves are working as smoothly as they can possibly be working. So before we sort of jump into distributing and administering COVID vaccines, it seems like Massachusetts, well, every state is sort of coming up with their own plan. And that sort of started under the last administration under Trump, and that may shift under Biden. But Massachusetts has focused on inoculating people in healthcare settings, people who are very likely to get COVID in nursing homes, as we saw at the Holyoke Soldiers Home last year, while other states like Florida are just opening up doses to those over 65. Why is Massachusetts' approach so different? And I mean, do you think there were benefits to this, regrets? So, so I think uh, 
it's important to kind of go back all the way maybe to October to think of where all this started as a, as a nation and, and how we got, got to where we are. Um, the first national group uh, that started thinking about this was the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine, uh, which is an expert uh, organization that was contracted by CDC to provide recommendations. And they recommended starting with uh, healthcare workers uh, as well as residents of long-term care facilities um, to preserve uh, the healthcare infrastructure to be able to continue to care for ill individuals. And of course, as you just said, uh, to recognize uh, where the hardest hit communities have been, which has clearly been in, in the elderly and congregate settings. Then um, from there, uh, they had a four-phased approach uh, that they had recommended that slowly expanded to other healthcare workers, um, other vulnerable segments of society, uh, what are sometimes either called critical workers or essential workers, those um, whose uh, services are definitely needed in society, but also those who put themselves at risk uh, by being out there in the public, um, and then eventually to, to the general public. From that set of recommendations uh, from the National Academies, the CDC has a group called the uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice, or ACIP. They've met several times. Uh, they adapted what came out of the National Academies uh, to come up with a, a three-phase uh, or three-step approach, uh, and then um, released the first phase they called 1A. They had 1A, 1B, and 1C before the general public. And then uh, after that, and we'll, we'll come back to it, but after that, they actually changed their phases. They adapted about halfway through. So it's part of some of the changing infrastructure that everybody's been trying to react to. So how has that translated, at least in Massachusetts? Um, because you have all these different groups within each phase getting vaccinated. And in some cases, it seems like, you know, for hospital workers, for instance, the response was very quick. Um, a lot of people were inoculated, but in other facilities, less people were inoculated, less appointments were being fulfilled by people showing up, and there were some extra vaccines left over. What needs to happen moving forward, I guess, to adjust? So, so I think uh, to, to emphasize what has been the same across most of the US, uh, and includes Massachusetts, is again, uh, the recognized need to make sure that the healthcare workforce is preserved uh, and can care for patients, uh, especially um, these uh, recommendations were crafted as case numbers were rising dramatically, as you may remember in October, November, we're clearly facing that second right. wave that thankfully seems to be uh, abating slightly now. Um, and then of course, to protect the most vulnerable. Um, what Massachusetts did uh, was recognized who really also is, is vulnerable in that, um, in that infrastructure and called them out specifically. So um, of course, healthcare workers working in healthcare organizations are pretty easy to define. There's a very large, especially here in Massachusetts, there's a very large home health workforce who comes uh, typically from vulnerable communities, um, often communities with very high prevalence of COVID and they go home to home uh, and both for equity and epidemiology uh, reasons um, the the uh, advisory group felt it was really important to consider them uh, early in, in the phasing, just like uh, other healthcare workers. Similarly, um, those in congregate settings, and that can be group homes, domestic violence shelters, uh, disabled homes, other settings where individuals live together and, and are vulnerable, um, the, and, and, and I would include actually prisons and jails in that, right. um, there are and there's, a, there's a, just a clear risk 
um, uh, of increased transmission. You know, 40 of the 50 largest clusters in the country have occurred in prisons and jails in, in the US. And so where Massachusetts was more specific than many states was in calling out some of these groups of congregate settings or these individuals within healthcare. And, and I do think that that slowed the rollout uh, because it, it took longer to get to those, uh, some of those groups uh, than uh, simply opening up say by age criteria. Okay, and so I've actually done a lot of coverage around prisons and jails, and it seems like they've had multiple surges of, of coronavirus cases. Is, is there anything that you think can be done specifically around vaccinations to sort of improve what's been going on there? Um, I know several state prisons have seen at least three or four waves. Absolutely. So I, I think vaccination is one of the most important. Um, it, it is true that there is vaccine hesitancy uh, among some of the uh, imprisoned population. And so, uh, you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to get full uptake. Uh, but but the fewer susceptible individuals you have, uh, and, and many individuals are in this setting for a very long time, um, the, the less there is a chance that there will be a large outbreak or a sustained outbreak. So that's that's a big part of it. Certainly other public health measures inside the jails uh, matter as much as they do outside the jails in terms of as much distancing, hand hygiene, masking, uh, et cetera, that, that you can do. But, but it, it's, it, the advisory group felt it was really important uh, as, as a, a basic health issue um, that individuals who, who cannot uh, always distance the same way uh, as if they were outside of prison uh, would be able to have access to vaccine. And do you have any sense on how that's going so far? Um, I think it's been about 10 days. Yeah, I, I don't have numbers, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I do know, uh, for what it's worth, that uh, in several states outside of Massachusetts, there have been um, calls to uh, include that population after they were not included initially. Now, there's certainly in other parts of the country, have been, there's been controversy about including that uh, patient population as well. Um, but I think of those states, uh, of some states that didn't include um, the full breadth of congregate settings, um, there have been calls to increase it from, a, from an epidemiologic perspective. And so what are your thoughts? I mean, it seems like there's been a pretty good push to get all of the different groups in phase one inoculated. And I think there was a re press release out a few days ago and the governor announced, you know, everyone in phase one can now be inoculated. Within those different groups, how are things looking? Like uh, for home care workers, for instance, I know many are Haitian or Latino, and there's often this pushback against vaccines. Has there been lower numbers in those groups than others? How how's that worked out? So the the data is still coming in. I, I would say clearly it's uneven, um, and and I think that there really are two main factors. Uh, one is those uh, workers who are part of the, the larger formal, formal healthcare system uh, have found it much easier to get vaccinated, right? If you work for a hospital or for a nursing home, um, either your hospital or the federal pharmacy partnership or others have provided you vaccine and it's, it's been pretty straightforward. For home health workers, uh, it's been much harder and they've had to work with clinics or hospitals or, or others uh, to try and find a site for vaccination. So. This is one of the, the chief problems is just because you're prioritized doesn't mean that you automatically have a site where you know that you can go get vaccinated. And um, as uh, 
other sites, whether it's uh, public health department clinics or hospitals or even the mass vaccination sites that are now open, as those have come online, now it's been easier uh, to, to vaccinate uh, home health workers. But I'll, I'll tell you, we um, had some uh, capacity we've opened up within my own health systems vaccination um, now that we've vaccinated a, a substantial portion of our workforce. Um, and uh, as we've opened up a couple of thousand slots, they fill almost immediately. Uh, so there is still demand out there uh, for, for individuals who are eligible to find a site that can vaccinate them. And those are individuals who are eligible during phase one. Correct. Those are individuals okay. who are eligible during phase one. And have you heard about like other, not just hospitals, but local boards of health that have administered the vaccine to, you know, everyone that they want. And now they're just seeking to vaccinate others, but they're sort of waiting for state approval to vaccinate other populations. So, so I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenge in trying to get it right uh, in being equitable and being ethical and, and, and effective in what you're doing, but also not holding back. So, uh, you know, the, the, there were several local public health departments all around the state um, that stood up vaccination sites and very quickly got through the first responders. So the, the fire, police and EMS uh, uh, staff that work in their communities um, and the hospitals, I think in general, um, did a pretty good job getting through their, their workforce. But then, um, and, and my understanding from the state is that we're maybe about two thirds, maybe a little bit less through phase one. So we're, we're not all of the individuals in phase one have been fully vaccinated yet, but of course you don't want to hold back. And that is my understanding of part of the logic of moving on to phase two now as of, as of February 1st, as of Monday. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask for those people who decide that, you know, they want to learn more about the vaccine. Has there been a strong education campaign within these different groups? Yeah. I, so I think there've been a lot of educational campaigns and exactly. I, I think I was getting to what you were about to ask, which is there really has been different uptake. And I think for those who are hesitant trying to, to, to outreach uh, and, and, and answer questions. So um, I am aware uh, that in some of the long-term care facilities, um, some of the staff have had lower rates of uptake. Uh, I've heard reports uh, outside of Massachusetts uh, of as low as 50%, um, whereas in the healthcare system, I think most of the acute care hospitals are a lot closer to 75% uh, uptake. Um, and, and I think we just don't have enough complete data to know, say in the home health workforce, how big that is. But um, there have been a whole bunch of town halls uh, that have been held by uh, labor unions, the SEIU, 1199, um, the state, um, communities, community health departments have held um, uh, webinars, town halls, others, um, and, and try and just hear questions that people have about the vaccine. I think there are rumors, there are misconceptions about um, the vaccine uh, affecting fertility or uh, being uh, dangerous if you have a certain kind of allergy or, or other things. And, and there's some, some uh, lots of just legitimate questions people have. Uh, there are lots of reasons, of course, uh, among different racial and ethnic groups, they have questions, uh, uh, communities that uh, have historically been mistreated by the medical system uh, that, that uh, you know, are concerned uh, about uh, trust. Uh, and, and I think, you know, within my healthcare system, I think that's true for most of the healthcare systems in the state. We have active outreach programs. We have ambassadors who are going out and trying to answer questions, but on a larger scale um, to uh, people who are eligible now, uh, there again are a lot of a lot of attempts to try and get good facts and out there and, and answer people's questions as they have them. Now, I know you mentioned earlier that in phase one, uh, about two thirds of individuals have been vaccinated. 
Is there any concern about moving on to phase two before there's a bigger chunk of phase one inoculated? I mean, is there any chance this could be pushed back? So, so, so I don't think there's any chance that the February 1st date will change. I think that's been announced and I think everyone's signing up and moving forward. Um, you know, this, this from early on was a recommendation of the advisory group. And, and I think it, it makes sense that you, you want to just be using your vaccine as quickly as it's coming. And so um, the point of the uh, phases is to try and get the vaccine to the groups in order that, that you think, again, is going to do the most good, save the most lives, be the most equitable. Um, but as, as soon as um, that volume of scheduling drops off at all, you really want to fold another group into the mix. So no one who is eligible now will stop being eligible. So if they change their mind, they can certainly get, get into the queue uh, again. Um, but uh, to make sure that we're, we're vaccinating individuals as quickly as possible, I think we've got to keep opening up the uh, opening up the phases. Now, so I know, like, for instance, the Globe reported this morning that Northeastern had 2000 extra doses of the Moderna vaccine, but they were told that they couldn't use them until next week. And I think the spokeswoman had some pretty strong words about the fact that uh, we still believe that because we have doses, we should move ahead. Um, but we have been persuaded by officials in the state COVID command center that we should wait until next week and that their hands were tied. I mean, are there a lot of situations like this cropping up around Massachusetts where people or organizations, universities want to vaccinate more people, but they're just, they don't know what's next. So I can't say that I know of how many of those kinds of situations exist. I think for most places or most systems, um, my, my, my own system included, um, we are using the vaccine as quickly as, we, as it arrives. Um, and there's enough demand out there to, to keep our, our systems fully uh, uh, operational. Now, you know, it is important to say that there are different systems that many uh, healthcare systems or others have been using to vaccinate their employees versus what they're standing up for patients. So uh, it is an important pivot, and I think we'll, we'll certainly see um, a different set of um, resources used now that we're opening up to, to groups of patients on the first um, that, that hopefully, again, will be sized to, to meet the demand, or sorry, sized size to meet the supply, uh, meaning we're, we're giving vaccine as quickly as it's arriving. Um, I'd love to meet the demand, but the supply, of course, doesn't meet the demand. And so... I do you have any idea, I know this updates every Thursday evening, but how many people have been administered the vaccine so far? Because I know about a week ago, it was a little over 350,000. Um, I'm guessing that's grown. Uh, it, it should be growing. The, the state receives uh, just over 80,000, I believe it's close to 85,000 uh, doses of vaccine per week. These are first doses. Um, and so one would hope uh, that the number will grow uh, close to uh, that number of, of, of new uh, vaccines as it's coming. You know, I, I know there's been a lot uh, written about the, the vaccines that are in the freezers. Some of that uh, I think is valid and, and uh, every part of the vaccination system needs to be more efficient so that the vaccine is flowing as quickly as possible. So, some of that is, is unavoidable. Uh, so for example, you know, when the vaccines basically arrive once a week, uh, and so it takes a full, takes a week to spend down uh, the vaccine that, that you're giving or to, to administer it. The other problem um, is that the second doses arrive automatically 
Um, and they also arrive in one dose uh, either about two weeks later for Pfizer or three weeks later for Moderna because the, the second dose um, intervals are different between the, the two vaccines. So you're, you're always getting larger boluses of supply that take you a week or two uh, to spend down or to administer. In the early days, um, the, the delivery of vaccine to Massachusetts was actually uneven uh, and um, came in sort of fits and starts. And so some of those early um, deliveries to the state exceeded the week's vaccination supply or capabilities, meaning we got the state got more than it could administer in a week or two. And that means now that we're getting second doses, again, there's a bit of a backlog, but I, I expect in the next couple of weeks that really should work its way out and get much smaller. Now, is there any, I mean, wiggle room in adjusting the plan and, and also having had your level of medical expertise, is there anything that you wish you could just, you know, snap your fingers and unilaterally change about what's going on right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there, there, there are certain things that, that I think anybody would wish um, if they could snap their fingers. And, and again, it's to, it's to vaccinate as quickly as possible. I think um, the um, number of different ways in which people can get vaccinated, whether it's from their healthcare system or a mass vaccination site or their public health department or a, a commercial pharmacy is a strength, but it's also a real weakness that people feel pretty frustrated that they have to go from place to place to place to look um, and to um, try and determine whether there's capacity to register, et cetera. And so I would love to weave them all together better uh, and make it easier for people to navigate that. I also think, you know, one of the chief problems for the whole country, uh, and it's been true very much here in Massachusetts, is the unpredictability of supply. Um, you know, uh, up until very, very recently, um, the state has not known week to week what, uh, how much vaccine is coming and when it's coming. That means that the state hasn't been able to tell the hospitals or other vaccinators how much vaccine they're getting until sometimes a day or two before it arrives. Um, and then uh, the hospitals have to figure out how to scale their vaccination capability and to know how, how to staff, uh, how many appointments to schedule. None of us wants to schedule a whole bunch of appointments and then cancel them. Um, th this unpredictability of supply has really been a, a challenge. And I think um, finally it is working itself out better. The federal government is being more predictable and more communicative with the states about what they're getting. The states now have translated. So, uh, you know, my hospital system gets four days, five days more notice than we did before in, about how much vaccine is coming and when. And so the efficiency of our scheduling is so much better because now we can start reaching out as soon as we know the number, schedule appointments, get people vaccinated. Um, and, and frankly, ideally, we're gonna schedule a couple of weeks out. Uh, going week to week to week is not an efficient way to run the operation. And so as soon as I think the states have confidence in what they're getting, um, they can pass that on to the vaccinators. And, and, and a lot of what we're seeing right now that, that is so frustrating, understandably, to people should smooth out. And so I know a lot of states must be facing very similar circumstances as Massachusetts. And I'm sure you've been asked about this, but there was this Becker Hospital Review piece that ranked Massachusetts as 38th in the country on administering vaccines. Did that number surprise you at all? And what were your thoughts around that? Is it something that can improve? So, so I, I mean, I think there's clearly, uh, there, got, there are ways to improve. There's just, there's no question about that. 
but I think, um, you know, there are lots of, of ways to look at the numbers. I think Massachusetts still is a little bit closer to the middle of the country. If you just look at percentage of the population that has been uh, uh, vaccinated on a per capita basis, so uh, not quite that low. Uh, and depending on how you look at it, uh, we are as high as eighth uh, in terms of reaching our long-term care residents and communities um, in, in terms of uh, the vaccines administered there. So, you know, all of these things matter. Uh, and and what, what I care most about is, is, is just making sure that the vaccine is in fact getting out to people in, in an equitable and effective way as, as, as fast as it can possibly be. And I don't think uh, that, that we have yet shown uh, that, 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 you know, there, there, there isn't inefficiency still in the system. Um, um, and I, I think that is surprising to a lot of people because I think, you know, in general, our, our healthcare system, our public health system does a, a really good job of right. taking care of the, of the public. I, I just think, um, there's been a lot that um, has been complicated about this rollout um, that, that I believe is being addressed. I think people are working really hard to fix the problems that have us where we are right now. Now, I'm assuming there's a lot of other states behind Massachusetts in vaccine rollout. I mean, it, what exactly, like what lessons could you take from other states to improve the situation in Massachusetts. So that March 1st, for instance, Beckers does another look and Massachusetts is up to number 12. Like what actual like specific things would you do? So I think the specific things are to make it really easy for, for people to sign up for their vaccination, to make them, to make it really easy uh, on the web or, or with uh, you know the technical tools available right. to know where there's vaccine available and, and how to register. I so think- the- Sorry, good. Oh, no, I was going to say the governor just announced uh, that a call center is going to be opening up, I think, next week. So I'm assuming West Virginia has done something quite similar, as have several other states. Exactly right. So I think, um, you know, a call center is good. And and I want to point out, you know, things like call centers are really important because, you know, we in the advisory group discussions, and I think a lot of what people are talking about with vaccination is, you have to consider the equity of every every part of this, uh, um, given how how blatant uh, the inequity of, of COVID has been. Uh, that COVID has so clearly hit vulnerable communities, communities of color, um, and and those are the communities that that by far need need the best access to, to vaccination. Um, so a lot of uh, individuals in some of these communities uh, may not have either access to computers or good internet right. or you know, may have language or other barriers that might make it hard. And so um, I very much do like the idea of, you know, common web portals, easy to use web portals, but they are clearly not just by themselves sufficient. So a call center, uh, you know, where you can talk to someone that has good linguistic capability uh, is one part of this. Um, and I think it's, it's also just real engagement of the full breadth of the healthcare system. Um, you know, one thing that, that we'll be starting on February 1st, uh, along with, uh, you know, the, the mass vaccination sites and the hospitals, the community health centers, I think, are going to play a really important role uh, in, in our state um, in helping us reach uh, the, the populations that are so important. Um, they are integral to the health of their communities. They um, are seen as trusted. I think they're really good at, at addressing hesitancy questions. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, they're located um, in a way that makes it easier for people to reach. So, um, I, I would say, you know, what would I love to see? I'd love to see it be as easy as possible 
I, I'd love to just have uh, the communication be as smooth as possible. We sadly, for the next couple of months at least, are going to be faced with a situation that we still just don't have enough vaccine to do everything we want. Um, that is being worked on at the federal level. That's nothing we can control at the state level, but we can at least provide people information to let them know what's happening, how it's progressing, so they don't feel like uh, they're left in the dark about that. So we only have about two minutes left, but my last question to you, and it's something that I I should have asked a little bit earlier. Um, There's a lot of people who talk about the lineup of who gets vaccines in phase two and phase three. Um, More recently, I've been writing about educators um, being bumped down because of uh, people 65 plus, which was a CDC recommendation. And they've noted accurately that cases in K through 12 schools have grown significantly in the past few weeks. Is this a catalyst for moving teachers or, you know, other educational staff up in the line? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, these are by far the most uh, heart-wrenching kinds of discussions uh, that, that you can have because, you know, all, all of the individuals you're talking about absolutely are priorities. Um, I think, uh, you know, I can't speak for the CDC, of course, but I think part of why it is part of now the federal recommendation and, and the, the federal government has very specifically told states to try and move to 65 plus as quickly as possible is just the straight mortality risk. Um, that when you look at uh, individuals' risk of dying, um, the single most uh, uh, important variable um, um, for any given individual is, is their age. Um, and across the population, um, really at about 65, uh, that numbers, the, the risk of dying goes up substantially, it goes up even more obviously every decade uh, after that. Now, this is, has is really been well written about and I think is, is important to talk about is that that age risk of dying uh, from COVID is not e- equally distributed among populations. So it's different among white individuals versus black versus Hispanic versus others and, and in the communities uh, that people live in. So I, I think the push to get to 65 at the federal level really recognizes that from a population basis, um, it's, 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 it's a life-saving measure. Um, I, I would point out, and, and I don't want to push back in any way against the importance of vaccinating teachers and the unbelievably important role they do. And frankly, also the importance of just getting schools back, uh, because I think, again, there's so much written about not just the, the impact on the children and, and their, their intellectual and their emotional and their, their social development, um, but, but also on families. Uh, a lot of hard hit families are really especially impacted with schools not being open. But uh, you know, what I would point out is, is the CDC just came out, I think you know, yesterday or the day before um, with a pretty strongly worded recommendation that with a certain set of um, uh, interventions in place, that there's not a lot of evidence for school-based transmission um, in the schools that have come back that, again, have had these interventions. So, you know, again, I, I certainly don't want to suggest uh, that it's not important to vaccinate teachers because it is, but I think the reason that the state, or sorry, that the federal government is pushing states to go to 65 has to do with that mortality risk. That was Paul Bittinger, who heads the state's advisory vaccine group. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to join you. Thank you so much.